My name is Darren. I'm pastor here, and um, would you listen now with open ears as I read from uh, the first psalm in its, enti- in its entirety. Hear now these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to this time and we uh, have sung these songs. We've sat under these words. We've uh, confessed our sins. We've received your unequivocal pardon. And I recognize, Lord, that as we come here, no doubt uh, we come from all sorts of different places. Some of us come here and our lives are uh, quite peaceful at the moment. Others of us come here and our lives are a complete mess. Uh, the, the, the idea of a train wreck would be an understatement to capture what is going on with us right now. Lord, I recognize further that some of us come here and we have and still do believe in you and trust you. We have received these words uh, as the very uh, guidance for our lives. And yet others of us come here and some of us are not sure what we think about you. Some of us are curious. We're trying to figure it out. Others of us are quite sure that we do not uh, believe these words are the words of life. We're not sure what they are, but we are not looking to them for guidance this morning. But Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we come here in joy or in despair, whether we come here in health or dealing with all kinds of sicknesses and pain, Lord, whether we come here with faith or dealing with overwhelming doubt, I pray, O God, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all come ultimately the same. We've all come with an overwhelming and unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand how you have met this need in the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, As we get into this word this morning, I want to ask you to follow follow along with me in a little exercise. I want you to think of two events in your lives, okay? One, I want you to think of an event where you were more happy more joyful, more peaceful than perhaps any other time, okay? Think of that event, right? What might it have been? You got it? Does anyone have this? Can anyone think of, oh, thank you, Roberta. Okay, Roberta's got it, so I'm going I'm to say we're good. Um, thank you. Now, secondly, I want you to think of uh, for you, what was probably the most painful event in your entire life? For you, what was the most painful, or one of the most, maybe not the most, but what was one of the most painful events in your whole life? Okay. That's harder. Actually, for some of us, that's easier, sadly. Okay. Do you have it, Roberta? Oh, she does. Okay. All right. So I say that because as we look ahead to this year, and we spend January at Ironworks trying to set a stage for the year to come, I was reflecting on some of my own 
intentions toward that end. You know, we call them New Year's resolutions. And I just want to tell you that, you know, I am feeling really good about myself. In fact, I'm feeling amazing about myself because I worked out at the gym in January. <laughs> right? Now, I, I'm not quite ready to use the plural tense for that, but I did work out, and um, so I'm feeling really good about that. But in all seriousness, you know, we're coming to the end of this month, and many of us have just tried to set new patterns of life for the year to come. And I wonder, uh, as we think about that, that, one of the questions that I'm asking, and the question that's actually raised by this passage is this. What kind of way of life, as this passage describes, will result in you bearing fruit no matter what the season. That's this language of the tree that's planted by the water. It bears fruit no matter what the season. And the idea of this metaphor is that when you have a tree that is always receiving what it needs, right? it doesn't matter if a semi-truck plows into it, it doesn't matter if there's a hurricane, it doesn't matter uh, what kinds of things are going on, it continues to just stay there and bear fruit. In fact, uh, I used to live on just off of Franklin Avenue, and I remember very um, vividly a couple years back, uh, we were just sh shocked by this noise, and there was a drunk driver who had been racing up Franklin Avenue and who had run right into the tree across from us. And, you know, wouldn't you believe it? But the tree was totally fine. The tree was just fine, right? Not, not so the car. Thankfully, the driver actually was, I, I think, was okay. Um, but the tree was just fine. It just stood there. It doesn't matter what comes at it and what hits it. And friends, I want to tell you that as I walk with you, and, and many of you are uh, having a difficult season, many of you are in crisis, right? Um, I've been that, in that place myself, and as we walk together, my, my deepest desire for us as a community, as a church, is that no matter the season, that we would know God's joy and his peace, so this language uh, that's used here in the passage, it starts off with this word, blessed. Uh, it's the Hebrew word, ashrei. You know anyone in your life named Asher? They're kind of named after this idea or after this passage. And it's trying to get at this idea that for you was probably represented in the first question I asked. For you, what was that moment? What was that experience where more than any other in your entire lives, things were good, things were well? Things were right. It's this idea of ashray, or sometimes it's translated happiness, sometimes it's translated blessedness, uh, but it has this idea that things are good, things are well. And of course, this passage is saying uh, there is a way, there's a way of life whereby the state of ashray can be experienced in every season. And friends, that's my desire for you very simply this year, that as you go through this year, we don't know what lay ahead. Uh, we don't know what's coming down the pike, as my mother-in-law likes to say. We might have overwhelming seasons of being surprised by God's abundance. We might have seasons where we are going through the greatest storm of our lives. No matter what the season, my desire for us all, uh, as I walk with you, as we pray together, my desire is that you would experience God's ashray. So how do you do it? Well, glad you asked, because this passage is going to give us direction unto this end, and I want to look at it together. I'm actually not going to do an outline, because someone suggested I don't, so we'll see how that goes. Um, so let's just walk through it together. The passage begins like this. It says, blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And this language of walking, standing, sitting is capturing the idea of a way of life. This is not a program, right? This is not a class you take. This is not something you add on to your life. It's, in, it's embodying the very way of life. And you'll notice here that the primary concern that's raised by this passage, I think, is summarized in this word counsel or influence, right? So this person who um, destroyed their car and attempted to destroy the tree next to my house, right? We would say that they were driving under the influence of alcohol, right? That, you know, they had no intention of plowing into a tree, but their influence was not the primary influence that was controlling the wheel that was uh, sitting on the gas. They were under another's influence. And the scripture begins with this idea that the primary way of life that will lead to this idea of astray in season and out of season begins with this question of who is counseling you? Where is your counsel coming? It's interesting, if you think back to uh, the beginning of Scripture, if you know the story, Adam and Eve are created by God. They're joined in holy matrimony. Right? It's wonderful. And it uses this language. It says, and they were both naked, and they felt no shame. And God gives them one rule. It says, you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And of course, uh, as they're going about their lives, uh, this creature comes up and attempts them to eat from this tree. They do. God comes back, and they hide. And God says, where are you? What's going on? And they said, well, we were afraid because we were naked. What's the very first thing God says to them? The very first thing. Who told you you were naked? In other words, he doesn't first criticize their action. He he's concerned about the counsel they are receiving. Which, of course, the counsel they were receiving was that of this creature who was uh, tempting them and whom they were persuaded by. And so the scripture begins, even with its very basic concern, is this question of counsel. Now, I think it's fair to say more so in our day than in the day in which this passage was written, we live a way of life that is absolutely unprecedented with respect to the amount of information that we receive, do we not? Right? So our culture is known by folks are, are uncomfortable leaving home without their phones, right? So they can go on Snapbook and, you know, like snap all day, whatever that is, um, right? We want to be constantly plugged into a steady flow of information. Uh, really, unlike any other generation before us, uh, we live on information overload. And it's interesting, um, one of the phenomenons uh, that, you know, sociologists are really considering is this result of constant communication, particularly from social networks, and what it is doing to our happiness. And so listen to this one quote from the American Journal of Preventative Medicine. It's a study said that people who visit social media platforms most frequently, which is 58 visits per week or more, had more than three times the odd of perceived social isolation than those who visited fewer than nine times per week. 
right? So what this study is pointing out is that in our day of absolute media saturation, right, if you go to have dinner, you know, you'll have like two TVs on. We like to go to Pat's Pizza, and it's awesome because one TV is Fox and one is CNN, and you can just pick the side that you want, right? <laughs> so where you can each face different ways and then compare notes, <laughs> right? But you know, even when you go out to dinner and you have your phone buzzing in your pocket and then you have you know, these two very different voices <laughs> you know, telling you what's going on in the world, we live in constant information overload and friends, uh, the, the experts here in this world are saying that that experience is really uh, leading to our detriment, that it's increasing our loneliness, that it's increasing things like depression. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us because the Holy Scriptures written long, long ago start out this book of the Bible, the Psalms, the largest book, and says the way of a shrey, the way for that experience for which every single one of us, whether you believe in God or Christianity or not, I know for a fact this is what you are going for, longing for, you want to experience this. That way begins with receiving the right counsel with your mind being fed with the right things. And so the scripture is very clear on that, and it contrasts. Look, so we talked about how it uh, looks at it negatively. It says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who's not swayed by their ideas, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the seat of scoffers. But in this contrast, look at what it says. Right? If you're not walking in this counsel, what are you walking in? And it uses this word, here, uh, that absolutely decimates me and perhaps some of you, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And you see, friends, what this passage is getting at is not simply hearing other counsel, right? The counsel of the wicked is contrasted with the law of the Lord, or you might say the counsel from the Lord, but the contrast is not something like, you know, hearing the counsel of the wicked and going in that direction, and hearing the counsel of the Lord and going in that direction. The, count, the contrast is the counsel of the wicked, receiving that, and then a delight, a love, an enjoyment. Right? The passage indicates here that the way to this ashray, the way to this experience, is not simply through receiving, but it's through this idea of delighting. And you know, friends, this is a big challenge for me as a minister because uh, it, I cannot command anyone to love anything, right? And what I mean love is enjoy, right? Delight in. You can command people to do things, right? At least I try. You know, we're getting better at it, but I say, you know, kids, go clean your room. And um, about 37% of the time they go do that. And we're, we're working on that metric. We have good analytics. We're increasing it. Um, and I'm really proud of that. <laughs> but what I can't do is I can't say, kids, go delight in cleaning your room. Right? That would be an unfair statement because, you know, they have no control over what they enjoy, right? So we're, we're faced with this difficulty as people. The scripture is saying, you know, if you want the way of a shrey, if you want to bear fruit, whether you are in an absolutely delightful season or you are in a season from hell itself, 
The way in which you do that is by having such a connection with God through the scriptures, such that it would be very accurate, very, it would be a word of integrity to say that I am delighting in the scriptures. Right? How do I do that? How would you, how might you get there? Right? Bible reading has really become kind of an unpopular thing these days. It's not practiced a whole lot. We have, uh, in my opinion, um, particularly amongst the younger generation, we have an unprecedented degree of just biblical ignorance, right? That uh, kids are not being raised to read the scriptures, to understand them, to memorize them. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something that uh, is true even here at Ironworks, probably to somewhat of a lesser degree. And as I read this passage, and as I consider it for you, the question I'm asking is not simply how do we turn that tide, though our staff is working very hard on that, right? Patty, uh, and then now through Chrissy, they're, they're working really hard on helping our kids develop a love for God and love for the scriptures, right? But how do we as adults, how do we, you know, as we parent uh, our children, how do we sow in them not simply a knowledge of the scriptures, but a delight in it, right? And I just want you to be honest with yourselves. There's no, there's no point in lying to yourselves, right? No point in that. I just want you to consider, do I delight in the scriptures today, right? Now, if you don't, right, or you're saying, I don't even remember the last time I the last time I read the scriptures, I know exactly when it was. It was last Sunday when the pastor read them up here, right? If that's you, I want you to know that uh, my heart is for you this morning, and it's to see you enjoy uh, the Lord in such a way that this passage would be something accurate about you. How do you do it? Well, in verse 2, it uses this language that I think is one of the best and clearest pathways to the enjoyment of God's word, and then to the bearing fruit that it describes. And it's this word, meditate, right? But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Now listen to what John Owen has to say about this. He says, meditation is distinguished from the study of the word, wherein our principal aim is to learn the truth or declare it unto others, and also so, so from prayer, whereof God himself is the immediate object, but meditation is the affecting of our own hearts and minds with love, delight, and humility. And you see, friends, uh, here at Ironworks, one of our core values, one of the things we seek to be is we seek to be a community of people who think deeply over the scriptures. Also, we seek to be a place where all people, those who uh, consider themselves Christians and those who are not yet at that place, can take a serious look at the claims of Christianity, can ask the hardest questions of life, and can seek answers in the richness of Christian teaching. And friends, I can't emphasize uh, strongly enough that I am convinced absolutely essential to that process is not simply reading the scriptures, though that's true, right? You do need to, you do need to hear them, but you have to go a step further to the point where you're chewing on them, where God is bringing them to mind. And the scripture calls this meditation. How do you do it? How do you get there? Well, I want to give you a couple uh, recommendations um, as you read. Uh, one recommendation is actually to read shorter things, right? So for example, we are considering just six verses. And um, when I was a younger Christian, I used to evaluate my standing before God in accordance with either the amount of time or the amount of content 
that I would read in a scripture, right? So if we were, you know, in a really engaging story and I read like five chapters, I would say, good job, Darren, it's great, right? But as I've uh, learned and grown and matured in the Lord, I've come to realize how silly that is, right? Because we see Jesus often quoting very, very short statements and bringing out the richest of teaching and meaning from them. And so one thing you might do is read something shorter, first of all, and then second of all, do not let the questions that that passage raises just float off into ether, right? Do not let those questions just sort of float off. And so one of the things I like to do when I prepare for a sermon or read in other cases or read with um, my children is I say, what are the questions that this is raising, right? So for example, in the passage that's before us today, what does this really mean to bear fruit in season? Do we even believe that that's possible? What is he talking about? Right? It's a question that uh, might be raised from this passage. So ask questions and do not settle for pat answers. Right? And one of the things that, uh, that when this is going well in my life, one of the things I find is that God will bring these things to mind all throughout the day. Right? When I'm in the car, when I'm in the shower, right? when I'm being still at night, when this is going the right way, he brings back these words, he brings back these questions, and actually, a lot of the time, he'll actually answer the questions as you chew on it all day, as you meditate on it day and night. So that's the advice, uh, very simply here, of the, of the Lord. He says, if you want to pursue a shrey, you do so by walking away from the counsel of this world and delighting and chewing on and meditating on the love, the law of the Lord. And the result, he says in verse 3, is that you will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and then it will say, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, uh, as we think about this, you might read the last part of verse 3 and say, this is promising that if I do this, right, that I will always be successful in my business, my family will always be healthy, right, my church will always be growing, right? Probably not the case, though. How do we know that? Well, for one, the whole metaphor of the tree, right, the way that you know that a tree truly is planted down deep, there's one way you know, and that's when it is tested. That's when the car slams into it or the hurricane comes. Right? My brother lives down in Miami, and you know they have, he's had a few different hurricanes now in his current house, and he'll put these videos and show the before and after, and you can see the trees that you know, made it and those that didn't. And the way that you know that a tree truly has the kind of root like this, the only way you know, is actually when it's been subjected to a Category 3 or higher hurricane. Right? That's the only way that you know. And the scripture... The Lord Jesus, of course, uh, in the New Testament and the teachings of Paul all confirm this, right? Where it says, blessed is the man who experiences trials, for example, James chapter 1 will say, that those are blessed because it shows the testing of your faith, what is behind that. And he uses this illustration that I was thinking about how to illustrate for you today. In fact, I asked Laura Williams, who usually knows everything, um, I said, where can we find chaff, you know, from like 
wheat. Can we bring that in so I can demonstrate the difference between a well-planted tree and chaff? And so I don't know that we're going to make that happen. So I thought of the perfect substitute for chaff for all of you parents. Okay, what's the worst part of buying a new light fixture or new furniture? What's the absolute worst part if you have children? It's the styrofoam. So we just put up a, a ceiling fan yesterday. And, um, you know, one of the things I do is I say, quick, get this out of the house right now, immediately. Because the kids just love to go to the styrofoam and they just start, you know, getting all into it. And then it's like hard to collect because you go after it and just the air of your hand sort of pushes the particles away. And, you know, you're just finding yourselves just content to say, I will pick you, be picking up styrofoam, you know, parcels <laughs> the rest of my life, right? And that's the idea in this metaphor, right? Whereas the tree can be subjected to the hurricane and not be moved, right? The little bits of styrofoam, you go to pick them up and just the air from your hand flings them away. And the New Testament actually echoes this concept where Paul says, you know, there are people who are not rooted in God. And so the way that you see that is that they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's the same exact metaphor. And so the blessedness contained in here is found in having such a root that no matter what the season, that you are connected deeply to God. Now, why is that the case? Why is having a connection to God's word the key to bearing fruit in season, the key to remaining even through the storm, even through the hurricane? What, why is that the case? Well, the passage will answer so uh, in verses 4 through 6, and it will say, and the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. And then it says in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And what it's going on here, of course, in verse 5, it's saying, you know, those folks who are identifying with a counsel that's not from God, they won't stand in the congregation. In other words, they won't be in God's family. They won't be connected to him. And then in contrast, it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And you might be sitting here saying, like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that God is aware of everything that's going on in this world. You know, things done by those who consider themselves uh, Christians, those who don't. What does this mean, the Lord knows the way of the righteous? And of course, the Hebrew idea behind knowing is not simply awareness, it's connection with. For example, again, back to Genesis, right? It says, and Adam knew his wife, and they conceived a son, right? He's not saying Adam was aware of his wife. It's saying that they connected in a powerful way, right? Or God will say to Abraham, will say, you only on the whole earth have I known. Not saying he's aware of, right? He's saying, I know you in such a way that I'm connected with you. And of course, what this passage is getting at is this. It's saying the only way to bear fruit in the storm, the only way to thrive, no matter what hell sends your way, is to have a connection with God that is not easily severed. That's the only way. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he comes to earth, he lives this out in a way that is absolutely unprecedented. For example, we see we're introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's baptized. 
He immediately goes into the wilderness. And in a very literal sense, the forces of hell come out in force to assault him over and over and over and over and over again. And every single time, what's on his heart, what's on his lips in that moment, answer, it's God's word. That the Lord Jesus lives this out in a way that's absolutely unprecedented. That throughout his life, as he has, first, the powers of hell, secondly, the leaders of men coming after and after and after him to the point that they will eventually succeed, at every step of the way, God's word is on his lips and evidencing that it's in his heart. But you see, friends, as, uh, as I've prepared this message, and perhaps some of you here today, if we're honest, we say, if I'm honest with you, and friends, this is, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, this is often the case, that, that my life is far from what is described in this passage. Right? That I have seasons of profound drought in my, not, not just enjoying, but in my reading of the scripture. I have seasons of profound drought. And some of you are here and you're saying, if I'm honest, that's absolutely the case. That I have seasons of profound drought. And no wonder I feel the way that I do, right? But is there any hope for me? Is there anything besides simply, let's try harder in 2019? Well, friends, the life of Christ shows us that he lived the teaching of this passage in a way that was unprecedented. But his experience was actually a little bit different than what's described here. You see this passage says that no matter what comes your way, that you will be like a tree, that you will sustain impact. But Jesus, though the word was always on his lips, he came to his, uh, just before his death, he would utter one last scripture. Right? Psalm 22, 1, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken See, the Lord Jesus, though he lived the life we should have lived, though he died the death we should have died, he was not this tree planted next to the stream of waters, but he went down and absorbed the curse of sin and death, even though he lived a perfect life. So that all of us who have absolutely failed with respect to this teaching of this passage can be in God's family. Right? That we can be in the congregation of the righteous. Though our lives are frequently, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, the amount of counsel that we receive and listen to over and over and over and over again is not Psalm 1. It's, I don't like the way you look. Boy, you said something stupid. Right? I better pour myself into work so that I can have lots and lots of money because that's the way to happen. Right? These are all messages that we receive over and over and over again. I want to tell you, friends, that one of the things I've, I've sort of learned over time is that one of the primary jobs of a pastor that I have is pleading with people I love, don't believe the lies. You know, some of you are here and you're like, yeah, you said that to me <laughs> over and over and over again. Is someone lying to you? Are you hearing this lie? Let me just assure you, don't believe it over and over and over again. Because Satan knows that this is the primary tool to rob you of joy. But Christ comes. He lives this life. He absorbs all of the curse so that you and I can be in the congregation of the righteous, so that we can enjoy this word not because we have to in order to be accepted by God, but because we're accepted by God. And so I would plead with you, dear friends, as you approach 2019, I would plead with you to join me and seeking to become people like this, 
right? If you're not reading the scriptures at all and you don't know where to start, you know, talk to me. I'll be happy to give you some ideas about that. If you are reading them and you're saying they just bounce off the ceiling, they bounce off the wall, I'd love to pray for you. But the singular message I have is don't settle. Don't settle for a life that's unlike this. Let us go there together. Let me pray for you.